Well, we began this series last week uh, called Beyond Conquerors. It's taken from Romans chapter 8, verse 37, where it says, No, in all these things you are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And in the next two weeks, a guy by the name of Bob Smickless is going to be here, and he's going to speak to us on anxiety, uh, how to overcome anxiety, understanding what anxiety is. And I would really encourage you to come out. I think it's going to be a very helpful, helpful thing for all of us here. But today we want to talk about moving beyond our failures. Uh, this is a difficult conversation, difficult thing to talk about because every single person in this room has experienced some form of failure. Or maybe you have failed in some area. There, there's nobody in this room, whether you're Christian or not, doesn't matter. There's nobody in this room who can say, I've never experienced failure. Everything has always gone exactly how it should. Or I've never failed in anything. I've always done everything I was supposed to do. I've always done what was expected of me. I've always accomplished everything that was set out for me. I've never failed. We have all, in one way or another, um, struggled with failure or in, been impacted by it. Some failures have big consequences. Some have almost none. I remember when I was in grade school, uh, during geography class, important to remember that, I was told to do a project on whales. And I was so thrilled. Okay, well, I remembered immediately. I got pictures at home. I can, I'm going to, man, this is going to be awesome. I, I, like my, my thing was done. My project was done before it was even, you know, I was even sent home because in my head already I knew exactly what I was going to do. And I'm like, hey, I'm going to do this project on whales. And, and I worked hard the night before it was due to get it done. And you all know how that works, procrastinators, all of you. But I worked hard the night before to make sure it was done, and I was so excited. I went to school, and I was so pumped to hand in my project on whales. Yeah. There are two whales, apparently, out there. One is apparently the place where the royals live, and the other one swims in the ocean. And had I taken a little bit of time to realize that we were in geography class, maybe I should have done W-A-L-E-S instead of W-H-L-A-L-E-A, -L -E -A, yeah, that one. Spelling was also my strength, you know. And so it was one of those epic failures. I remember the teacher just looking at me, and I, man, I just, just plagiarized like nothing else. I just copied everything out of National Geographic, and it just, boom. I should have just basically handed in a section of the National Geographic uh, magazine, because that's all I did, is just copy and paste before you could just copy and paste with a computer. I just glue, boom, paste, you know? And so it was more like cut and paste. Um, and this teacher just looked at me and was like, every class has one, and you are that one, you know? And so she was pretty frustrated. Uh, in that same school, I was honored when I was in grade eight that named to be the bus monitor. And man, I was so glad I could be a bus monitor. I felt so powerful, you know? And, for the most part, things went really well until one day I just had it enough with this certain kid. So I punched him in the face. And I cussed out the rest of the bus. It was a Christian school. It didn't go over so well. You know, my mom and dad got some phone calls. And the only consolation I had was the next day, the, the principal, when I had to go meet with him about what I had done, the only, only consolation I felt was, you know, Ike, I understand why you punched that kid in the face. And I was like, I was pretty comforted, you know, that the principal himself was like, I probably would have punched him in the face too, but so thanks, man. But he's like, you can't go swearing at the whole bus. You know, epic failure, epic failure, you know, the things that you learn in life. But 
that, that experience, for some reason, it still haunts me sometimes to this day. I, I remember walking off that bus and I felt like such an epic failure. All these little kids crying because, you know, they heard words come out of my mouth they should have never heard in life. You know, and here at a Christian school, their parent was hoping to protect them from such a tyrant, and now he is named the bus monitor. But they allowed me to continue my duty even after that, which I was thankful for, and I cleaned up my act. But we have all had moments in our lives where we failed. You would lie if you said the opposite. And so we want to talk to that about, about that today because, you know, we want to look at these moments in our lives, but we, more importantly, we don't need to take a lot of time on the failure itself because it's there. What we want to spend time on today is how do you move beyond? Because we know that we can, and we know that we've been called to, and we know that it's, it's, to stay there is not wise at all. And, and too many people have stayed at these failures for far too long. It's something you did, you know, way back. Something that happened. Something that your parents maybe did. And you just can't seem to move beyond it. I think when we fail, as Christians, we may feel even more of the weight of the responsibility, the weight of... Um, the wrong, because now not only have we failed against humanity, now not only have we failed against ourselves, but we failed God. And, and I don't know how you feel about life, but when you feel like you failed God, you there, there's an extra sense of despair that you experience. And, and I think sometimes we view ourselves only in light of the failures that we've had, and they impact us. And so I want us to look at. John chapter 18, verse 15, and we're going to look today at probably one of the biggest failures in the New Testament. So turn in your Bibles to John chapter 18, uh, verses 15. Here's what it says. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus, and the other disciple being John. Because this disciple, John, was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high uh, priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant on duty, and brought Peter in. So Peter didn't have VIP passes, and John did. In verse 17, here's where it begins. Everything's going smooth, and now all of a sudden, here's where it begins. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? That's the question to Peter. That's what Peter's being asked by the people that are standing there. Now you would think Peter, who has... His greatest desire in life would have been to be called by a rabbi to follow him. Peter obviously didn't make the class. He would have, because if he would have, he would have been in school and he would have been under a teacher, but he was fishing when Jesus found him. And so he wasn't the smartest guy around. And so he didn't make it in the education system. And so no rabbi had gone up to him and said, Hey, you know what? I'll take you, I'll invest in your life. But Jesus did. And so you would think that someone like Peter, who way back then said, yes, I will follow you, would at this moment be like, you know what, no matter what, I will defend and I will stand by my rabbi, by my teacher, because he's given me a chance in life that no one else was willing to give me. Unfortunately, when Peter was asked, aren't you with this guy Jesus? Peter's response wasn't a resounding yes, but instead possibly a very meek, I am not. 
Now here's something interesting that we need to note here. Is that in John chapter 13, Peter made this declaration to Jesus. He said, I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus said to Peter, um, as a matter of fact, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. In other words, before morning, not like weeks from now, not months from now, not long after when you've forgotten this conversation, while this conversation is still fresh in your mind, you will already deny me three times. To which I'm sure Peter was shocked and couldn't believe it. No way, I will lay down my life for you. See, I think physically, Peter was willing to lay down his life for Jesus. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when they came to arrest Jesus? Peter pulls out a sword and he chopped off the guy's ear. I don't think Peter was aiming for the ear. Not to be gross here, kids, but I think he was aiming for the center of the head. He was going to defend this man. He was going to defend Jesus with his life. After all, he had said to Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. And so in the one area of his life, in the area, physical area of his life, Peter was ready to go to bat for Jesus. Absolutely. He chopped off this guy's ear and, and you know the response from Jesus. Like, hey, put your sword away. That's not what we're doing. And so here's Peter. I, I truly believe that he meant it when he said, I will lay down my life for you. But what he didn't understand is he only pictured defending Jesus with the sword. Defending Jesus physically. And now the rule of the game has changed. And he didn't see it coming. He didn't see it coming. So here's the same guy who's ready to pull out a sword. The same guy who's ready to swing away. In defense of Jesus physically is suddenly now denying even knowing him. The rules changed. The game changed. The approach was different. And we see Peter being completely taken apart here by the devil who's saying, hey, okay, I'll use a different strategy on you, and you won't even see it coming. Let's jump to verse 25. Meanwhile, Simon Peter, and he's denied Jesus one time now, he's still standing by the fire, warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. Then one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. I love how this comes together. It's like, oops, didn't see you in the garden, and here you are, you know. He challenged him, didn't I see you with him in the garden? <laughs> I think this would be the moment where you'd be like, dude, I'm not going to forget that. You're the only one swinging a sword, and you got my relative, and you got his ear off, and then they, Jesus put it back on. There's no way I'm going to forget you. Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. You would think that when this guy, you know, after he denied him twice, this guy comes up to Peter and says, hey, I remember you in the garden. You would think at that moment, Peter would have been like, okay, you've caught me. You called my bluff. You, you know who I am. Yes, 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 I'm with this Jesus guy. Because as if anyone's going to forget what Peter did in the garden. But even then, Peter insisted on not knowing who Jesus was. And of course, at that moment, the rooster crowed, and Peter's busted. Have you ever had a rooster crow in your life? Now, if you're a farmer, you're like, oh yeah, those dang things, they wake me up all the time. No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. Have you ever had a rooster crow in your life? This is the moment when your parents walk in on you when you're looking at something you weren't supposed to be looking at. 
This is the moment when your spouse discovers that those innocent text messages that you're sending to your coworker are not really as innocent as you had made them sound to be. This is the moment when the tax man comes and he checks over all your financial records and you know exactly what's going to be found. It's a moment in our lives when the rooster crows and we're caught, we're busted, our failure has been exposed. In the other Gospels, we read that there was this intimate moment between Jesus and Peter where, where the rooster crows, and at that very moment, Peter sees Jesus, and Jesus is looking at him doing, you know, not one of these, I told you so, but Peter, I warned you. I warned you. And Peter's overcome by grief. And, and we read in the other Gospels that he runs out weeping and repenting, and he, he, he must have just been like, I cannot believe I cannot believe what I have just done. We're talking this morning about going beyond these failures. We could spend all day here talking about how horrible it is when we fail, but we want to move beyond them. You see, you are more than your failures. There's more to you than the areas of your life where you have messed up. There's more to you than the areas of your life where you failed. So how do we move beyond those things? How can we become someone like Peter, who originally Jesus said, your name will be Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And how do you move from denying knowing Jesus to being a major pillar in the early church? How do you move on from something as big and something as drastic as this? What could possibly have happened in Peter's life that would have brought him to a place where he could now go back and serve Jesus confidently with full assurance that that failure that he had had in his life was behind him and he could move beyond it? Well, I think the answer for this is found in John chapter 21. And so I would encourage you to flip over a couple of chapters of John chapter 21. By now, Jesus has been crucified. He's been buried and he's risen from the dead. And he's had at least two experiences or two meetings with his disciples. And it would appear that during these two times that Jesus has interacted with his disciples, he and Peter have never really sat down and had this conversation. And so here's Jesus, you know, he's met with Peter a few times and and I don't know, maybe these were awkward meetings. Maybe these were times where Peter's like, oh man, I just need to have this out with you once. We need to talk. We need to deal with this. But the timing was never right. And so it almost seems that in one time, in Peter's frustration, he's like, okay guys, you know what? I can't handle this anymore. I'm going fishing. I'm going to go back and do what I used to do. I'm going to go fishing. And so Peter, with his other disciples, get back in the boat and they go fishing. Now here's the interesting thing. It's early in the morning, and there's Peter with his disciples, with his, uh, with his other disciples, fishing away. And what they see is that there's a man standing on shore. Now, we know something they don't know. We know that it's Jesus. They didn't know that. They just, they just saw a man standing on the shore. And so this man yells out at them, They've been fishing for a while, and this man yells out at them and says, Hey, have you caught any fish? No. No, no fish. No fish. 
This man on the shore then yells at them and says, hey, take your nets from one side of the, of the boat and throw them to the other side of the boat. And then you'll catch some fish. Now, this must have sounded eerily familiar to these disciples because the same thing had happened to them earlier on in their lives when they had first met Jesus. And like last time, when they were obedient, they took the nets, threw them over, like literally from eight feet this area to eight feet on this area, a few feet over, and instead of having no fish again, now their nets were absolutely packed full of fish. And something happens in this moment to the Apostle John, or the disciple John. I wonder if he at that moment was also just, you know that moment when you kind of freeze and you're like, what's happening here? I've seen this before. I recognize this. This is something else. And, and I can just see John like wrestling in his head, like what's going on here, what's going on here? And all of a sudden, it's like as if he puts the two together and he leans over to Peter and he says, hey, Peter, it's the Lord. And I wonder if at that moment, Peter's like, no kidding. No kidding. This is the same thing he did last time. There's no way that this is anything other. That man on the shore is Jesus. And Peter gets all flustered. And, and it says there that he literally starts throwing on his outer clothes. Instead of stripping down to, to nothing and swimming so he doesn't get all wet, he gets all flustered and he literally starts put, putting clothes on. It would be like you and I putting our winter jackets on and our snow boots on and our gloves and diving into the water to get to shore. You'd be like, why wouldn't you have left all that off? But Peter was so flustered, he's like, I've got to get to shore. I think this tells us a lot about Peter's desire to be in a right relationship with Jesus. He just had to get to him. He had to get to him. And so you get this picture of Peter showing up on shore and he's soaking wet. And, and I just have this image in my head of the disciples kind of rowing right beside him. Like, dude, you should have just stayed in the boat, you know. Because when you read it, it's like Peter got on shore and immediately there's the guys in the boat going, yep, that was a lot easier, you know. Uh, should have stayed with us in the boat, Peter, but hey, whatever, you do what you do. And there's Peter soaking wet again. If you know this Peter's life, soaking wet again, standing before him of Jesus. And Peter does something, I mean, Jesus does something really cool. He's got a little fire going and he's got fish and bread going. And I don't know, it's not much of a breakfast for this guy, but... You know, must have, if Jesus makes it, I would eat it. But fish for breakfast, no, I'm not sure. But there's Jesus. He's got fish on the fire, and he's making bread. And then he says something to the disciples that's just so cool. He says, hey, guys, give me some of that. Give me, bring some of your fish. Now remember, he's already got fish on the fire. And here's a lesson, I think, for all of us. Here's something I think that we need to see about ourselves. Jesus is looking at these guys saying, I already got fish going. I already have breakfast cooking. I don't need your fish. Remember, he's already ha he already has fish frying. He doesn't need their fish, but he wants it anyway. And I think sometimes we see ourselves in li life as if though when we fail Jesus, that Jesus is like, ugh, you know, get away, get away. See, here's something that may hurt some of your feelings, but it's a truth that you need to understand and embrace. Jesus doesn't need you. He just doesn't. 
If there's someone in this room saying, man, I'm glad I'm here because if it wasn't for me, you know, this whole thing that Jesus has got going would fall apart. No, Jesus doesn't need you. He doesn't need anything you have to offer. He did not need those disciples' fish. There was nothing those guys had that they had on their own anyway. Jesus was the one saying, hey, throw the nets on the other side, and then they caught fish, and then Jesus like, hey, with the fish that you caught because of me, bring them to me. I think it's a beautiful picture for us in life to know that Jesus doesn't need us. He wants us. He wants us. Jesus doesn't need the gifts you have, but He wants them. He wants you to bring those things to Him. Here's this risen Savior making breakfast for the disciples. All who deserted Him and one who denied Him three times. And yet Jesus is willing to make them breakfast. And He's like, hey, bring me some of the fish you just caught. Let's add to this meal. When they'd finished eating, Jesus finally addresses the elephant in the room. And I, you kind of wish you were there, and you're kind of glad you're not. But here's this moment, and, and it's as if though maybe Jesus kind of just looked at Peter and said, you know what, we need to have this conversation. We need to deal with this once. And here's... Peter, who so boldly had said, I would die for you, I would give my life for you, he, he's denied knowing Jesus. And, and they're sitting in this little circle, and, and Jesus finally addresses this with this question. Peter, do you love me? And I, I wonder if it was an emotional moment for Jesus. Because it's not just matter of fact, because when... When trust is broken, a relationship is broken. When someone denies you, it's more than just, you know, ah, yeah, they know me, you liar. Well, there's a trust that's broken, and when trust is broken, a relationship is broken. And so here's Jesus, maybe, who's wondering, like, Peter, do you still love me? And for Peter's sake, obviously, as well, and of course, Peter answers, yes. Yes, I love you. And Jesus is like, well, then get to work. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. I have work for you to do, Peter. I don't know if they asked the second question right away, or maybe they had another fish. And, hey, everybody, have another fish. And, and after they eat maybe a little bit more, Jesus looks again at Peter. And, and again, he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter again answers, yes. Yes, I love you. And again, Jesus says, okay, then get to work. I've got work for you to do. A third time, Jesus again asked Peter, do you love me? And maybe this conversation was kind of being had in a hushed tone until now. But now you get a sense that, that Peter is maybe standing up and, and now he's, you know, he's speaking loudly now. And he's like, you know everything. You know that I love you. Like, please stop asking me. I know what you're getting at. Yes, you you know everything. You know I love you, Jesus. And Jesus again says to Peter, okay, then get to work. And do what I've called you to do. Feed my sheep. Get to work. Do the thing that I originally called you 
to do. Obviously, what Jesus is doing here is he's reinstating Peter into the ministry. But you need to understand that Jesus doesn't view Peter as just a tool to be used. I think what Jesus is also doing here is he's also reminding Peter that he is loved by Jesus. Because after every yes, I love you, Jesus would solidify Peter's purpose and his role in the ministry. Every time he would say, I've got some work for you to do. I I, I need you in this area. I'm going to use you in this area. And I think every single time when Peter said, yes, I do, and Jesus would say, okay, then go and do this. I think in a sense what Jesus was saying to Peter is, guess what, Peter? I love you too. I love you too. And I have work for you to do. Did Peter deserve it? Of course not. Of course not. Jesus could have stood there on the shore, and when Peter came to shore, he could have looked at Peter and been like, you useless thing, denying me three times. When I needed you most, and the rest of you, where were you? Here I'm being beaten, you all ran. He didn't do that. Peter did not deserve this. He did not deserve for Jesus to say, guess what, I want you back in. I want you to be part of what I have planned for you to do. So how did Peter go then from being this person who denies Jesus three times to being a major pillar in the New Testament? How did he go from being someone who would deny knowing Jesus to later on being a key leader in the church that would continue to take the message of Jesus to the world, and you and I are part of it thanks to people like Peter? I think the answer is the same for Peter as it is for you and I, and that is this, and this is your take-home for today. The only way to become more than a conqueror is to fully embrace the love of the Savior. The only way to become more than a conqueror is to fully embrace the love of a Savior. You cannot do this on your own. You may think, oh, you know what? I'm going to serve Jesus in such a way that He has to love me. No, He doesn't need you. There's nothing you can give Jesus that He's like, man, if we didn't have that, we'd be done. He wants you. When you fail, you can't dig your way out of it. What you need to do is you need to simply embrace the fact that you are weak, that you failed, that you couldn't do it. You should have, you could have maybe, but you didn't, you messed up. And now what you need to do is embrace the love that Jesus has for you. And had Peter not embraced the love of Jesus, he would have never recovered from the failure that he he had. The only way Now, we can be more than conquerors, is to fully embrace the love of the Savior. Isn't that what the verse says, Romans 8, 37? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him, through Jesus, who what? Who loved us. So maybe you've had a rooster crow in your life recently. I'm sure you've had one crow at some point, and you failed. What you need to do today is you need to repent. 
you need to surrender your life. You need to repent of the failure. You need to repent of whatever it is that you did, like Peter did. He ran out weeping. He repented. He knew what he had done was horrible, and he couldn't believe what he had done, but he didn't stay there. He repented of it. And then you need to answer the question that Jesus is asking you today. Do you love me? Do you love me? I know you failed. And I know you're sorry. So I want to know, do you love me? Are you willing to come back? Are you willing to be used again? We don't do so well with people's failures. And I think sometimes we think that Jesus is the same way that we are. We, you know, when we have someone fail, we don't do so well with it. But Jesus doesn't deal with failure the way that we deal, deal with failure. He's willing to extend His loving arm to everyone. The last thing I want you to catch here that's really important is that Jesus sought Peter out. Jesus sought Peter out. And I guarantee you, if you're here today and there's, there's been failure in your life, I guarantee you, Jesus has been seeking you out and He wants to bring you back in. So whatever your failure may be, Jesus isn't like gross. That's, that's, you know, that's horrible. Never again. Jesus is seeking you out. He wants to draw you back in. He wants you to repent. He wants you to love Him again. He wants to, you to embrace the love that He has for you. And when you do that, you will be able to see yourself not as someone who's a mess and someone who's gross and dirty or whatever, however you may see yourself. You will now see yourself as a person who is loved by a risen Savior. And that will give you, that will give you the power that you need to move beyond. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, I thank you so much for your presence here with us, and I thank you, God, for loving us. I thank you for this incredible love that you have for all of us. And Lord, I pray as we um, move forward from this day on, that we would view ourselves the way that you view us that we would see ourselves the way that you want us to see you, ourselves in you. And so, Father, I thank you for everything that you've done, and I pray, Lord, that you would um, help us to embrace this. I pray for the person here in this room, man, woman, child. And maybe they see themselves as broken, and they see themselves as someone who you've turned away from because of the sin in their life or the failures in their life. I pray, God, that you would now, at this very moment, help them to see themselves the way that you see them. And I pray that they would repent of their sin, and that they would return to you again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.